0: So as some of you may know, um, if you've been with us for any period of time, um, uh, sometimes my sermon intros sound a little like today. (laughs) Uh, As some of you may know, I come from a long line of fairly fastidious, persnickety, uh, meticulous, and one might say exacting grammarians. Uh, My parents are slightly uptight. (laughs) It's not me, it's them. My parents uh, and we Wakefields are slightly uptight when it comes to speaking mellifluously and uh, with morphological precision. Anybody tracking? Translation, we Wakefields care a lot about speaking good. And I know full well that was an adverbial use of the word good, so it should have been speaking goodly. But true story, as a kid... I thought, I thought it was entirely normal to be speaking regular old English at a restaurant so that anybody can understand you. And then suddenly when you came across like a foreign word on the menu, like it was an Italian dish or something like that, I thought it was entirely normal uh, and, and certainly proper to pronounce that word with the correct foreign pronunciation. Uh, So um, my my dad would be sitting there um, or my mom would be sitting there and we'd be at some restaurant um, speaking English. And uh, yes, I believe I'll have the uh, manicotti and uh, make sure it's al dente. Uh, And and, and I I really would like the ricotta cheese, you know, that kind of that kind of craziness. I thought that was normal. (laughs) Uh, So only when I started doing that, my friends looked at me like, what is wrong with you? In college, did I start to realize I'm a bit of the weird one? You know anybody like that who suddenly becomes fluent <laughs> in a foreign language, like when they order at a restaurant where they serve foreign food? Um, that, that was me. That is. That is. Me. <laughs> About a year ago, I remember sitting at uh, Freiburg's in Johnson City, which is a German restaurant. Real good burger, by the way. Um, sitting at Freiburg's in Johnson City, and uh, I was with a friend, and I <laughs> said something like I was German. And uh, he just looked at me like, what is wrong with you? So uh, it, it still happens today. This is kind of like how it is for many Christians when they're speaking with non-Christians. It's like we somehow suddenly become foreigners speaking a foreign language. Uh, and we think that speaking in ways that sound to us mellifluous or uh, morphologically precise uh, is something that non believers will A, hear, and B, be attracted to. But for many of them, we are actually mostly speaking a foreign language, and often we are answering questions they're not asking. And if we are, it's so many layers beyond where they are, they don't hear it, and we come across to them like, you're speaking Italian. I'm sitting right here in Greene County, grew up here, I don't know Italian. It's no different than that. Paul says in our passage today in Colossians 4, it's actually pretty easy if we keep this in mind. Speak the sufficiency of Jesus at all times. Speak the sufficiency of Jesus at all, t- at all times, making him the hero of your story and everything's going to be fine. It's not that difficult. It's not that complicated. If we will be people who speak first with the fullness of grace, as if Jesus is enough, as if he is sufficient, as if he is the hero of our story, then it's all going to be fine. You see, in the book of Colossians here, the Apostle Paul, who is one of the first global missionaries and church planters, is writing the believers At Colossae and he's writing the believers to encourage them to learn to speak with this sufficiency of Christ idea as the answer to them, uh, the answer for them to all of the false philosophies that were around them in that day. So he writes this in his final instructions to them. Jump in with me at Colossians 4, starting at uh, verse 2. He writes these instructions to encourage them to speak the sufficiency of Jesus to all the false and godless philosophies that were around them. He says this, continue steadfastly, meaning devote yourself persistently, time and again, keep at it, continue steadfastly in prayer. And he says this, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Paul is picking up here on an earlier theme of prayer that he's talked about in this letter. And he's encouraging them here to continue praying for opportunities to speak the sufficiency of Christ to their non-Christian friends and neighbors. We know this not only because of what he says next in verse 3, but because he says it here in verse 2. Be watchful in prayer. He says, be watchful in prayer. In prayer. What he means by this, friends, is this. You are being watchful in prayer if you are looking for the work of God. Prayer is watchful if it is looking for where God's working. Prayer that is watchful is a trajectory of the heart that seeks to have open eyes for where God is working and where He is moving and to join Him in that place and in those ways. It is in effect praying with open eyes instead of closed eyes. So question for us all here before we move on. Ask yourself this question. Am I kingdom-focused enough? that my prayer life is concerned not merely with the supposed immediate and pressing needs that stress me out. I get it. Those are real. Believe me. Am <laughs> my kingdom focused enough that my prayer life is concerned not merely with the supposed immediate and pressing needs that stress me out, but also with a heart to see and join the work of God in the world. Does what God's doing in the world for the sake of his goodness and glory being made known Inspire your prayer life. You see, if we were watchful for God's work, even in those places where we are stressed, (laughs) instead of trying to exploit God to fix like a personal genie all of our immediate needs, even if we were watchful in God's work in our immediate needs, then maybe we would have a better perspective on what's really going on and we respond to life from that angle. So ask yourself, taking a hint from Paul in verse 2, am I being watchful in prayer? Am I asking for eyes that see where his heart's moving? And what he values? And what his purposes are? Is that preeminent in how I'm thinking about how I'm having conversation with the Lord? Lord, I'm stressed out of my mind. I don't know how I'm going to get this sermon done. I've already worked 80 hours this week. I have no earthly idea how this is going to work. I'm stressed out of my mind. Please help me see what you need me to see so that I can join what you're doing. You've got your own version of all of that. Prayer that is watchful is looking for where God's working. So back to the passage. Paul is reminding, Paul is reminding the Colossian Christians here to keep praying watchfully, which in this case means to pray for opportunities to speak the sufficiency of Christ to non-Christian friends and neighbors. And then he says this, look at verse three. He says, at the same time, while you're doing that, being watchful in your prayer for yourself, pray also for us. He had at least two others with him on this journey. He says, pray also for us, and here's why that God may open to us a door for the word that God will open up opportunities for the word or for the gospel. Same thing that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, which is a way of saying uh, to preach the now revealed truth of Jesus that once was hidden. That's what he means there to declare the mystery of Christ On account of which I'm in prison, meaning Paul was writing from prison, probably in Rome. Verse 4, that I may make it clear. That is a purpose statement for the purposes of making the gospel clear, which is how I ought to speak. Some of your versions say, as I should. So to summarize here, verses 2 through 4, he says, pray watchfully, but pray also for us, Paul says, in this mission that they're on. And he says here, pray for two that's. Two that's in verses 3 and 4 here. Number one, that God may open a door to us for the Word. And secondly, pray that I may make the Gospel clear. Pray, number one, that God would open doors for the Gospel. And number two, that I would make the Gospel clear. Pray for open doors for the Gospel and that I may speak it clearly. Open doors for the Gospel and speaking the Gospel clearly. simple question how often are we praying for things like those two things open doors for the gospel to be spoken clearly because this is apparently a more specific application of Paul's previous guidance to be watchful in prayer how often are we praying for the forward movement of the mission of God's glory in the world. How often are you praying for open doors for the Gospel to be spoken clearly? For you. For others. For this church. Are we corporately watchful in how we ask for the Lord to move? How radically different would our lives be and this church be if we prayed beyond the temporary personal comforts of self to the kingdom purpose of declaring God's goodness and glory in Jesus. If you woke each day and one of your preeminent thoughts your primary motivations, the first thing that comes to mind is a heart for the forward movement of God's mission in the world, you would approach that day fundamentally differently. Listen, y'all. I long to be part of a church and a Christian community that is white hot with gospel mission for the souls of non-believers because all of us, were once non-believers. I long personally to be white-hot with gospel mission for the souls of non because I was a non And I believe it is entirely biblical and good and right, and it is truth to say that Jesus saves us from a slavery to sin that otherwise forever condemns us to a hell without the presence of God if it weren't for someone praying for an open door for the gospel to be spoken clearly. Let me say this another way. (laughs) As a church, um, we are sometimes uh, criticized uh, from within here and there. For not focusing enough on members and insiders. I'll take the blame for that. Bring it on. But friends, we are being biblical and kingdom focused when we intentionally and we methodically strategize to declare Jesus. And when we refuse to let other temporary missions take precedent over reflecting the heart of God to seek and save the lost. This whole thing called church, this whole thing, our leaders, our staff, our systems, our structures, our volunteers, everything we produce, our literature, the website, our worship guide, our small groups, our ministry teams, every single level of the organization is about becoming an environment and becoming people who are white hot for the mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. The gospel is the mission. The gospel is the mission. And we should pray like it. For ourselves and for our families, for our marriages, for our children. Who gives a hoot if your kid is successful financially and has a good degree and is well-liked in the community socioculturally? If they don't know Jesus and they're not about the gospel. We are really good at helping our kids become good in worldly ways. Really good. But how many of our kids care about the mission of the gospel because that's what God cares about? The gospel is the mission and we should pray like it. But we don't. We don't pray like it. That's just true. So we should pray like the gospel is the mission, and we should act like it, and we should speak like it. Those are the three things Paul's saying pray like it, act like it, speak like it. We should pray like the gospel is the mission, we should act like it, and we should speak like the good news that Jesus is enough <laughs> is, is the thing that informs how we speak to others. Jump in again at uh, verse 5. This is where Paul picks up this idea of, uh, of acting and speaking like the gospel is the mission. He says this, verse 5, walk in wisdom. This word walk um, is a Jewish way of, des- of describing how we lead a certain path or way of life. It's an idiom for the, so the, the trajectory of life. Um, So he says, walk in wisdom, behave with spiritual wisdom and tact uh, toward outsiders, toward nonbelievers. Then he says, making the best use of the time. There is so much here and so little time. Uh, So he says, walk, verse five, in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of. Of the time. Making the best use of the time here is a phrase that Paul uses to emphasize the idea that we only have so much time. We only have so much time in this mission. Jesus will return, God will gather his people, he will finish the work of recreating the heavens and the earth, and we only have so much time until that happens. Paul is communicating here a sense of urgency and passion for this mission. A few Bible translations say, make the most of every opportunity, which is a pretty good way to say it there. Don't let opportunities for gospel mission pass you by. You see, the mission of this gospel to unbelievers stops when Jesus returns. For what do we think we were created? What stops when Jesus returns? Gospel mission to non-believers stops. So don't miss it on the opportunities all around you to declare the mystery of Christ. One additional thought here real quick before we move on to the text from verse 5. Contrary to the contemporary... um, Christian impulse to remove oneself from the world, which is a misinterpretation of the admonition in the Bible to keep oneself unstained from the world, which is a comment about personal holiness, not about geography. Contrary to the contemporary Christian pendulum swing impulse to hunker in the bunker and do life alone and not engage the world and not be a meaningful and continuing and important part of the local church. Contrary to the contemporary Christian impulse to disengage and to settle into self and to refuse to engage in the local church, Paul says clearly to walk in wisdom, towards, toward outsiders. A lot of Christians today think it is wisdom to walk away from outsiders. But Paul tells us here, it is wisdom to walk toward outsiders. There's a trajectory here of engaging the world. It is apparently not the best use of our time as Christians to disengage from the world. Let me just say it simply this way. Christian disengagement from the world, hmm, not a good tactic for gospel mission to those who don't know Jesus. And we sanctify that as if personal holiness and gospel mission are mutually exclusive. Doesn't make sense. Not right. We believe it's actually biblical to say that engaging in gospel mission is the best tactic for for gaining and maintaining personal holiness. We actually believe that helping people find and follow Jesus is a biblical strategy for becoming who God made you to be. Seven Habits. Worship and serve, next steps, connect in a small group, pursue generosity, pray and study the Bible. Guess what? All of those things (laughs) are about mission, and they're about you becoming who God made you to be. These are all ways to engage in gospel mission and maintain personal holiness. So, because this is really all about helping people find to follow Jesus, verse 6, let your speech always be gracious. What a great phrase. Let your speech always be gracious gracious, always be filled with God's undeserved blessing and favor that we've received in Jesus. That may feel like I'm fitting too much into that word gracious, but, but I think that's what Paul is saying here. He's telling us to make sure that our speaking, uh, that it begins with, and that it's full of God's undeserved blessing and favor to us in Jesus. Which is to say, make sure the foundational assumption that infuses and inspires the way that you speak is the idea that Jesus is enough. Let your speech always be full of grace. He says seasoned with salt, uh, made tasty and interesting and inviting uh, because it has spiritual truth and goodness in it. You've chosen the right word. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. And here's why. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. First Peter 3, uh, 15 says uh, so that you are prepared to give an answer. You are prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that you have in you. So two easy takeaways today. We'll close with these two easy takeaways. Number one is just what Paul says. Number one, please pray with us that we will have a white hot focus on gospel mission to nonbelievers. Just like just like another Christian and another church and another believer had as their mission to you. Please pray with us that we will continue to have a white-hot focus in our gospel mission to nonbelievers. Pray for open doors for telling the story of Jesus as sufficient to those who desperately need to know the freedom from their self-salvation project. Pray that we would be clear in how we declare that. Clear in making Jesus the hero of the story and not ourselves. Clear in making Jesus the hero of our story and not ourselves. Because, by the way, nobody believes the You're So Amazing story. Nobody believes it. Get a few years on you and you see right through that. Number two, please be careful and tactful (laughs) and winsome uh, and attractive in how you speak with non believers. let your speech always be gracious, filled with the truth that Jesus is enough and that he's the hero and that we are not. Speak, speak graciously, talk with the gospel uh, of God's grace to you uh, as your first option. Like, is, is the gospel of God's grace to me the first thing that comes out of my mouth in how I, how I speak and I interact with a non-believer? Or, or, is it, or is it anger at how messed up the world is? Or is it sarcasm at how undependable he is or or how gossipy or off-kilter uh, her life seems to be? Is the gospel of God's grace to you the truth that infuses and that inspires how you talk toward non-Christians? If we will do these two things, pray watchfully, and we will walk and talk with grace and wisdom with non-believers, God promises he will. We'll make His presence known and we will reap a harvest of souls. Jesus Himself said, the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few. We're asking for you to be a laborer with us. Jesus says, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. If we will pray watchfully, We'll walk and talk with grace and wisdom toward non-believers. We will see God move in power among us. Let's pray, friends. Father, forgive us for a mission that included our glory as the preeminent concern. Father, again today, because of Your Word to us, because of the witness of those who have gone before, We see the truth of Your sufficiency in Jesus. Lord, make it to us crystal clear so that we would understand that it is Your goodness and glory being made known. that brings to us satisfaction and peace and contentment and joy that we can't know without Your leading and Your guidance. Father, in the quiet of this moment, we're grateful and we're thankful that those who have gone before us prayed watchfully for opportunities to speak the Gospel to us. That they walked and and, and lived in ways that were attractive and winsome and helpful to seeing Your heart and the truth of who You are and that they spoke in ways that, that humbly talked about Your Son Jesus as sufficient. Lord, give us the courage and the strength. Make of us men and women of prayer Uh, So that we would continue to say yes to your mission for our lives, trusting that joy and peace and satisfaction are on the other side of us saying yes and committing to that mission, Lord. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen. Uh, So, real briefly,